The battle is over, but a decision must be made as Octavia's adventure comes to a close. What will be Crag's fate? What will the victory cost? And who will shed the first tear? Welcome to the final episode of Me, My Spouse, and a Die. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Me, My Spouse, and a Die. I'm Gwyneth, your resident Asimar, Octavia Marguerite Sinclair. And I'm Austin, your resident Dungeon Master. Me, My Spouse, and a Die is a family-friendly, actual play Dungeons & Dragons podcast, where we have followed Octavia through her adventures in the continent of Mawir, a land that had been ravaged by a war with monsters for 15 years. 15 years, and that war ends today. This is it. The culmination of 156 episodes of podcastage, of three years of recording and editing and producing. Oh we finish gosh. it here and now. This is the end. Today is that day. Today is that day. Wow. I don't know what to say or think because I, it, as, as you have probably caught, for, if you've listened to the last couple episodes, we are recording this just moments after mm-hmm. finishing the last mm-hmm. one. Um, yes. And so I am still really? trying. Yes, yes, that's a very good word. I'm trying to figure mm-hmm. out what to do. Well, this is why I wanted to do these all in, in sequence. Yeah. Because I think it just. We've got the the momentum is there, yeah. and I think breaking it up and taking you know a week or two in between these recordings would just kind of rob it of some of the sense of urgency. No, I agree. So, yeah, because I, I, I mean it's this. been it's been great having that through line <laughs> through all of these. Yes. Oh man. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna. I I don't even really know what to say. Well, we're gonna we're gonna record this, and then we're gonna have a little debrief and uh thank you and goodbye and then that's that's gonna be it i know it's kind of crazy i mean we've been doing this for so long i know i it's hard to imagine what it'll be like to not again it is bittersweet i am looking forward to having some more time in my schedule Mm -hmm. but this has been this has been uh a large part of our life for a long time yeah and i was getting a little emotional as i was writing up the end of this oh bon. i know i was like oh i know i don't want to think about it too much because i might cry yeah right so i haven't thought you're gonna cry by the end of this thing i guarantee it oh my gosh <laughs> i guarantee it um i do cry easily too the the thing that comforts me is that carhoon as an elf is probably alive in the other campaign we're running <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> if he survives this fight, uh, uh, if if he survives the end of of this show, he will he will probably be alive. Actually, if it's part angel, she might be too. Who knows? I forget what the Asmar lifespan is supposed to be. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe she just. I don't know. We will see. She goes yeah. off into the west. We will see what happens. To oh my gosh! Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I mean, because this is like one of the longest campaigns i've ever been a part of isn't it i think the longest because we started it before our other game yeah it's yeah i think i think so i don't remember how long we ran 
their previous one-on-one. I don't think it was a full three years. It was levels one through ten, so it was probably a little bit shorter because mm-hmm. this has been levels three through thirteen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So same amount of levels, but oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. man. Oh, gosh, mm-hmm. it's it's all. Oh man, this is this is close to it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't really have too much to say. Uh, we thanked all our crit submitters, and at the end of this, we'll give everybody a nice heartfelt thanks again but yeah yeah i feel i kind of think i i think we just gotta play yeah i i don't know that any banter is really like seems appropriate enough for the, <laughs> for our final ostensibly our final episode our final episode yeah our final real episode here we go yeah all right let's uh okay let's get down to it in case you didn't recall when we last left off Octavia had been locked in a pitch battle with Crag, Dragonblood. Crag was joined by his counterpart, the mechanical dragon, Ignorox, fed by the soul imprisoned in the Sword of Ignorox the Red, and had summoned several demons to go to kill Owlbear, Carmina, Balgar, and Malaris. Carhoon did battle with the demons. Jasulka transformed into his draconic self and did battle with Mecha Ignorox. And Octavia summoned a bunch of reflections and fought Crag. Now, when we finished recording last, Gwyneth asked me if I went easy on her, to which I replied, No, I didn't. I took you to zero in about two rounds. Which is true. Um... And I think that the fight was actually relatively well matched until you started sucking the strength out of my fighter, because, like, he could the hit point damage was fine, but not being able to swing that sword was a big detriment. Because I, I knew I I counted on you wild shaping, mm-hmm. of course. That's that's your thing. Right. That's what you yeah. do. And you know he had a magic weapon. He had a lot of attacks. He had good damage, so I wasn't too worried about that. But losing the strength was definitely uh, a m- major det- deterrent, it uh, detriment to to his fighting prowess. But even yeah. still, he did take you down in he about did. two rounds. Yeah. And still, how many hit points did your Earth self have left? Only 44. 44 out yeah. of what, 100 and 126. 126. Yeah. So, I mean, he took out two-thirds of your oh, yeah. Earth hit points. Yeah. Even still. So... Uh, I think it was, I think it was a pretty, pretty solid fight. I thought so too. And I just, I just was, I don't know. It, it also, because I still had a decent number of spell slots that I could have healed my earth elemental, mm-hmm. which is maybe why it didn't feel, even though I was already down to 44, mm-hmm. it didn't feel quite sure. as, as dire, as dire quite yet. Yeah. Well, I did. I, I then told her it's not over. That is also true. That's terrifying uh, as he says that. It's not over. So, in the end, Mecha Ignorox was defeated. Jasulka returned to his humanoid form, exhausted from the effort. Karun defeated the two demons in his enlightened werebear state. And Octavia and her reflections drained Crag of his strength. He has one strength left. He's lying on the ground weak, unable to pick himself up, and he was pleading with Octavia that whatever was possessing him was coming back. He couldn't stop it, and the only way to end this 
was to kill him and free him of this suffering. He admitted to his, you know, wrongdoings that he had this this war was his fault that doing all this this causing this pain and death and suffering was on him and asked Octavia to end it and him end the war. And that is where we come to standing atop the hub smoking mechanical dragon carcass about 100 feet away Carhoon standing next to you Jasulka limping f- toward you dragging the sword of Ignorox in his hand and Octavia as an earth elemental with one large stony fist wrapped around the body of Crag once the proud Asimar half-orc warrior now just a uh, weak limp ragdoll he has asked you to please kill me and end this war and you literally have his life in your hands Mm -hmm. what does Octavia do well I think I actually unwild shaped at the oh right you had that's right I'm Um, sorry you unwild shaped and I drank a potion drank a potion and then (laughs) got a cool seven hit points sorry yeah thank you (laughs) I I wanted to be able to talk I didn't want to (laughs) just be in um, earth elemental and have to be like <laughs> I'm sorry before we get into the deep stuff for our final episode Pancake has come to say hello and goodbye and right, sorry no so she had come over here and I was scratching her head and I knew that she was going to find your lap because your lap is her favorite spot okay Do I know anything about, like, how he's being possessed or anything like that? No. You know it is likely the Archdevil, Zarnavon, based on everything you saw in the Shadowfell. Mm-hmm. Or Shadow... Shadowfell, yeah. Yeah. Um, in some form or another. And you know that it is uh, kind of suppressed right now because of Crag's physical weakness okay. and near-death experience. But as Crag has said... It's coming back. I okay. cannot stop it. Do I know anything about possession if it usually like latches on to a possessed person's like soul? Is it the body? You you don't know, really. Okay. It depends. And any possessions you might know of would be of lesser oh, demons and yeah, devils. Far less of a And you're not sure what sort of grip an arch devil might be able to have. Yeah. Is there anything you want me to tell anybody? I have no family. I don't deserve it even if I did. Just just do it. Oh my god. To be clear, this is a choice. You do not. I'm not trying to railroad you into killing him. Yeah. You do not have to kill him. But it is a choice you must make whether yeah. you are or are not. Shh, baby, shh. It would take a cleric of like immeasurable power to be able to unpossess an archdevil from a person. Probably. I mean, I can 
He's gonna get his strength back eventually. So it's not even like we can just keep him in a weakened state. I mean, is that relatively humane to even just keep someone out of, you know, one strength <laughs> enfeebled, basically, condition anyway? <laughs> It's appropriate that um, Octavia had conjured a bunch of fae called Reflections <laughs> because, I mean, looking into Crag's eyes, I mean, he still has, her wings are still out, and I would think that his wings are still out too, thinking of time-wise. All of this has been so quick. <laughs> it reminds you of Seeing your reflection in the sword in the dream in the first episode. Yeah. And she's thinking, you know, our roles could have just as easily been swapped. Like, you know, I could have been the one that Zarnavon latched onto. And, you know, he could have been the one called to come take care of me. And I guess what would I want him to do if he were in my shoes? And I would probably ask for the same thing. Karen puts a hand on your shoulder. What do you think? I think you have to do what you think is right one way or the other. There's arguments for both. I don't know. What would we do if we kept him alive? I don't know. Maybe there's someone in Lake Ansel who could help, but it would take time. We had difficulty finding someone who would able who was able to get that crown off of me. Yeah. Take a lot of resources that I don't know that the world has right now, but I I don't know. There's, as I said, there's arguments to both sides, but ultimately, this has always been your decision. I guess I just never thought that I would have to make the decision like this or even make a just fighting somebody in the heat of battle and winning in that way is one thing. Craig, are you sure you don't have a family left? If I did, they're probably long dead. They never wanted me to begin with. That's part of how I ended up here. I think even if I did, letting them know they were connected to me would be a burden I wouldn't want to put on them.
I can't hold him back for much longer. I can't guarantee what happens when he comes back. So what would Octavia do? Again, I'm not trying to railroad you in any decision. I, I don't feel railroaded. That is good. I do not feel railroaded. But I do need an answer. You do need an answer. She just looks at him. And is like, I'm so sorry. It was you and not me. I'm so sorry I couldn't. Stop what happened in the shadow fell. I'm so sorry I couldn't save you. And I know that you've done a lot of terrible things under, under your own volition. And I know you've done even worse. Not. And you should at least have the opportunity to atone for the actions you willingly took. But you're right. gonna come back and then I'll be just at ground zero all over again I wish I could give you that chance as she can Octavia will kill Craig I'm tearing up I have to deflect with humor no you don't you can just sit in the, you can sit in the emotion 
Oh shoot, that got real. This music doesn't help either. No, I know. Thank you, tabletop audio. Gosh, I can't talk. Alright. As you. See if I can keep my voice from breaking too much. It's okay if it does. <laughs> I don't know why it's hitting me so hard right now. As you put the body down. Carhoon tightens his grip on your shoulder. Goodness, I really can't do this. Whoo! Whoo! Red leather, yellow leather. I got this. Alright. It kind of leads you away from the scene. I honestly didn't think you were going to kill him. Really? Yeah, I didn't. Ooh, wow. Oh, gosh. That got me. Karun leads you away from the scene. And Chisolka reaches you. He has the sword in one hand and he goes over and he grabs the shield. Good, good. Off of Craig's arm. And he stands in front of you holding the two. And for once it seems like his air of uh, arrogance and bravado bravado seems to be taken down a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> Not asking for miracles here. Not miracles. Oh my gosh. I'm like gonna cry. <sighs> was it what I said? Or? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was what you said or just like it's the end. I don't know. Oh jeez. <sighs> having a hard time keeping it together. But Jazalka comes back with the sword and the shield and he says to you looks around it's it's over you've done it and I am sorry it had to end this particular way Me too. but at least it has ended We still have an army that we have to deal with. Well, I think my, uh... I think my creations will help to that. In the meantime, we can... I think once they learn that Craig is gone, well, that was the whole point of this, right? I guess we never really made a plan for after we got to this point. Do we have to, like, take him down and so the army can see? That would be one way of doing it, but perhaps let's not get lost in the details right now. I think I do 
honestly, I, I, I know I've been difficult at times. <laughs> and I do hate to bring this business up before all the bodies are cold, but the longer we wait, the harder this will be. It's done. And we've held up our ends. And I need you to give me my siblings. We've that, discussed things. I don't think taking your siblings with you was part of the bargain. Why don't we... Why don't we do this? And he reaches out his hand with the ring on it. Okay. For you to take. Okay. I'll grab it. And the the world around you kind of fades to black. Mm. And you are surrounded by Jasolka in his I think he'd probably be in his dragon form right now. Mm-hmm. Fulmis, the blue, lounging in her corner. Akrila, the green, also kind of hanging out. And you see two newcomers as well. You see an enormous hulking red dragon, gleaming crimson scales, and a lithe, uh, sinewy black dragon. Jasulka says it might be best if we spoke here. You promised them their freedom in exchange for helping you, yes? Yeah. We have discussed things and things that you may were not privy to, mind you. And you see what I've done with myself. I can give this to them. And we can be free, but you need to leave them with me. They served their purpose. And they're not your souls to keep anymore. Can't you all uh, stay here, though? I mean, you were... Fulmice looks at you in this prison. No. You you were guardians of Moir once, can't you? Get bodies like Jasulka and... I don't know. It would be amazing to... meet... I don't know, each of you in person. Fulmice shakes her head. She says, no, well... Our time on Moir was storied, but also troubled. And I think everyone here needs a fresh start. I have appreciated our time together. I have learned a lot from you. And (laughs) it was nice not to do this journey alone, even if <laughs> to the outside I, I, you know, might seem by myself. 
uh, Jasalka says. Yes, no. Ulterior motives, no. Foul play. But I need to, to take them. And we need to leave this land. And we're not going to return. And I think that's best for us. And I think that's best for your people. Once you find a place, um, would I be able to visit? Fulmi snakes her head down again. She says, perhaps you were led to us once. Perhaps you could find us again. And then Octavia's going to turn to the two that she's never officially met. Um, and she'll kind of give a little bow and be like, we haven't had the opportunity to meet this way yet. Um, I guess you probably know from Craig, but I'm Octavia. Uh, and I had the pleasure of getting to know three of your siblings. The black dragon takes a step forward. Big triangular head kind of looms down at you, looks you over, says, I think I am the newest to this little escapade. It's a pleasure to meet you. My name is Veneris the Black. I truly do not quite understand the ramifications of everything that has been going on. But it is good to see my siblings once again. And if this is a road out of the imprisonment I have faced for these past centuries, then I'm willing to take it. Makes sense. I. She kind of leans her head down close and whispers, although you may have a bit of trouble with that one. (laughs) She kind of slinks away, greets the others, who are all pleased to see her. And the red dragon walks up, narrows his eyes, squints down at you. I, I... Could have had it all. I was this close. And you took it from me. I'm not a part of this. I'm not your friend. I'm not your companion. And he looks at the rest of them and I'm not your brother. And he just kind of turns around and goes and skulks off in a a deep corner of this endless plain. You can still see him, (laughs) but he just kind of turns his back and storms away. No talkie, me angry. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And Jasolka says, we'll give him some extra time. I think he's earned a bit more penance than perhaps the rest of us. Yeah, and Octavia will call after him and be like, you were this close to having it all being controlled by an archdevil. 
You didn't have it all. You would have just been, you would have been just as, you know, encaged in that, in that form that they gave you as you are in that, in the sword. Sure, you had a little bit more mobility, but you didn't get to control your actions or what happened to you. It turns back, looks at you, snorts a puff of smoke out of its nostrils, and then just continues. Sulking. Sulking off. But the other four, yes, Fulmi says, leans down and says, I know I was the first, and we've had the longest time together. Yeah. You have used my power well. I. It has been interesting to watch you progress. You've made some choices I would not have made, but... You came out on top nonetheless. I made some choices I maybe shouldn't have made. But War is difficult. We made it to a point. You did indeed. I am pleased to have helped you along this journey. I know I have many wrongs to... Uh, redeem myself for, but perhaps this is a start to get the ledger in the black again. As weird as it is, I will miss you. I think I will miss you too. It has been comforting knowing you've had my back. And I'm excited for whatever land you go to for them to have you. And I hope that for them it can be as it was supposed to be here all those millennia ago. Well, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? We will. And she uh, leans her head down close to you. I will hug her head if she lets me. Mm -hmm. You hug her head and she holds it for a moment and then returns back to her little section of the chromatic pie. Agrila steps up. You've done it, love. (laughs) I told you you were a conqueror yet. Oh, that was a pleasure to watch. Blimey. That was, ah, what a display. Now you did hesitate to, uh, to kill that, and which you gotta, the hesitation, you gotta nix that. But everything else, mm, great day. Very good. Oh my gosh. Oh, Akrila, I'm gonna miss you as well. But again, not a conqueror. I might have won. I think you just proved yourself wrong there, my love. I might have won the day to day for for Mo- Moir, but I, I won it for, for everyone of Moir as opposed to winning it for myself. And I think that that's a big difference between a conqueror and not. Well, call yourself what you will, but it's been it's been quite the roid. I'm excited to see what uh, Jisoka's got in store for us, eh? It, it has been. You take care of yourself now. You too. The Black Dragon, Veneris, 
walks up and says, I know I just met you. And this is crazy. And this is crazy. So here's my number. Uh, Dragon, call me, maybe. Um, (laughs) And I'm still figuring out exactly what just happened. There was a lot of stuff going on inside that man's head. And I'm still processing all of it, but... uh, I think it sounds like you've done something good here, Ed, so I appreciate that. And I've had a lot of time to think and reflect in my thousands of years in captivity. And I think I'm ready to, as Jisoka said, have a fresh start somewhere. So, I guess thank you. And perhaps I'll be seeing you and we can get to know each other a little bit more later. You're welcome, and and I would like that. And finally, Jasalka walks up to you and he says, It has been quite the journey. And whether you approve of my methods or not, we do make quite the team. Uh, you, you are right on that point. We do. And again, as much as I hate to get down to business without even letting you have time to process all of the emotions that your mortal mind is undoubtedly feeling. <laughs> this is something I must do, and I, I am afraid I must do it now. So we are all in agreement that this is the best course of action for us and you do this and your part of the bargains are fulfilled and perhaps one day our paths will cross again we'll just have to wait and see please keep Ignorox in line oh we don't worry I have we have plans for Ignorox I All I want is for all five of you to, like I said to Fumis, be as it was meant to be. Yes. Well, we have to undo 15 years of uh, fiendish influence on him, possibly greater than 15 years. So it will take some time, but I'm sure in the end, he was never really the brains of the operation, if you know what I mean. Right, but... We'll be able to uh, convince him. It just may take time. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I Again, I never really thought past this point. Uh, so, again, it was so good to to meet all of you and to get to know some of you well and, and, and some of you... You know, just as an introductory type of acquaintance. Um, (laughs) But again, I couldn't have done any of this without you. And I really hope you all find the peace and the fresh start wherever you're going. We wish you well on whatever your destiny holds in store after this. Now, I will take us out and I'll be on my way. And the other dragons for me, Acrila and Veneris, all 
raise a big clawed <laughs> hand in farewell. Goodbye, everybody. And the blackness fades out. And you are back on the hub. Jizalka releases your hand. Carhoon kind of looks at you questioningly and then he's like, Oh, okay. I see what just happened. And uh, Jizalka then hands out, holds out both hands for the staff, the belt. Just the, just staff. the staff and the belt. The belt yeah. Octavia will uh, kind of untie her grandmother's staff that she had, like, tied to the Ocrela's staff so that she wasn't, like, carrying two mm-hmm. of them. Um, and she will hand Ocrela over. Mm-hmm. And then finally she will unbuckle Fulmis, um from where she was, you know, like, worn like a sash. And she'll hold the belt for a moment and, and look at the, the beautiful like scale pattern that was embossed in, in the leather and say goodbye, friend. And hand over the belt as well. Chisoka accepts both. Wraps the... Uh belt around himself, buckles it, grabs the staff, straps the shield to his back, and puts the sword in the belt. Then waves at you and says, I told you you were going to cry by the end of this. <laughs> waves his hand and says, Till we meet again. And poof, he's gone. Octavia waves. As Jaselka disappears. Whoo. <sighs> As Jaselka disappears, Karun wraps you up in a big old bear hug. Oh. I know. He's a good guy. He's a real good guy. And Octavia will be like, Thank you for being here every step. I know I said something similar in the elevator, but now after these decisions have been made, I'm more glad than ever that you're here. Karno nods squeezes you a bit tighter doesn't really have the words after everything that just went down yeah and then releases you and he goes and he scoops up uh, Craig's body and starts walking toward the stairs and from here I did not cry this much at the end of our last campaign Oh my gosh. Ooh. It's not so much that I'm trying to suppress my emotions because you're showing emotion isn't it's just I need to get through like the last <laughs> bit of this narration. Yeah. And, and I can't do that if my voice keeps breaking and I keep 
Okay, yeah. so no, it's it's hard for recording if you're crying. It is it is hard to record while you are crying, believe it or not. <laughs> Woo! And so from here we we the the story vision fades out on this immediate aftermath of this final battle. And um we kind of go through a slow motion. I envision this kind of like the then slow motion scenes of like a war movie. As we see a slow motion a little montage where we see Octavia battered, bloody, beaten, but overall victorious with a total of seven hit points. Keep in mind, she probably looks real rough. Yeah. Trudging out of the city, through the city, into the tunnel, out of the tunnel, flanked by Carhoon carrying the body of Crag and we can watch the two of them as they're moving through a throng of what we soon come to realize are horrible undead monstrosities just like moving their way through the city like a very slow animated wave we can see behind the two of them Owlbear Anchak we can see Balger with Malaris still slung over his shoulder and Carmina all walking tired, bloody, bruised, covered in wounds, cuts, blood, soot, sweat, tears. But again, overall victorious walking through this horde. The undead monsters seem to be leaving them alone, making their way around. And we can see orcs, goblins, kobolds, minotaurs. All of the the creatures united under the Dragonblood banner. Coming into, into battle with these unfeeling animated corpses. And either being pushed back, cut down, or seeing their commander dead in the arms of a werebear flee in abject terror and so the dragon blood army their commander dead zombie uncountable zombie horrors on their rear the armies of moir at the front begin to falter the bond that had been forged by crag with the significant aid of Ignorox the Red has been broken. And like that bond, the armies too soon thereafter break. Some of them flee deep into the mountains. Some flee off into the plains, to the forests, to the swamps, to the ends of Moir. Many are ended by this insatiable tide of undead that just keeps rolling through the cavernous city like a plague. It's kind of a problem that solves itself. As these undead beasts defeat the Dragonblood army, so too the Dragonblood army slowly but surely cuts down these undead beasts until effectively both of them are depleted. Octavia and her team of crack specialists, (laughs) unaffected by these hordes of, of monsters roiling around them, trudge out of the mountain onto the plains where they see sunlight for the first time in, you know, a day. 
and this scene kind of fades away as we see the Moerian army surrounding this gate surge forward and enter the city proper like a cleansing tide. And that scene would all fade to black. And at this point, if we were watching a movie, we would see something like about a year later (laughs) appear on the screen. But wait, it it does? Yes. But what if I want to do something? What would you like to do as Octavia walks out of the mountain? I'll give you an opportunity before we go to the aftermath. Can I cast Revivify on Crack? Would someone who was possessed, who then died, could they be brought back unpossessed? I think if you tried to do that, and you're welcome to, you sit down after Carhoon releases you from the hug atop the hub, and you put your hand on Craig's chest and call down the divine powers, but you can feel a presence that you guess is Crag's departed spirit and he doesn't want Want to come come back back. okay that's what I was wondering yeah okay now we can go to a year later (laughs) and now we fade to black it has been an indeterminate amount of time but somewhere in the realm of six months to a year after the end of the war after the defeat of the dragon blood armies at Grundikov the defeat of Krag at the hands of Octavia and her team Moir is recovering we see A stone platform bed in the center of a stoically appointed room. The windows overlooking a serene mountain scene. We see Carhoon sitting on a small stool next to said bed. He looks cleaner than we last saw him. (laughs) He looks healthy. He looks, you know, not malnourished. His hair is not greasy and coated in blood and viscera his goatee is neatly trimmed his armor is polished his axe is sharpened and he is wearing uh, a nice light tunic and we see an ornate silver dagger worn on his hip lying in the bed half covered by a uh, rough sheet is the gruff and sallow face of Lord Protector Severin. We say late we see Lady Marin walk over from across the room and sit on his opposite side, grabbing his hand, notably across the Lord Protector's face and down into his chest is a deep, wide scar, tendrils of which reach out across his head and upper torso. His breathing is labored, and he looks at Garhoon. He says, Zarius, I know we've never seen 
eye to eye. After the Howling Night, it was up to me to clean up the mess that you and your team made, and I know you know, but it was quite the mess. So much death. And I blame that all on you, and quite frankly, that much is still true. What happened is your fault. And just because you were instrumental in saving Moir from total domination doesn't erase that fact. But I can see that this ordeal has changed you. Forged you in the flames of war into a being of pure will. And if anyone is going to find a way to lift this curse from us, I believe it is you. I called you here because my time is over, Garhoon. The wound at Groon's Gate, it's taking its toll. My body has suffered its fair share of torment over, over these years, but this... This is the last straw. And my people, well, let's be honest, our people, they need a leader. And they need you. And I've seen that no one will fight for them, has fought for them harder than you will. And Carhoon has taken a little bit of back and he sits back in his stool and says, Wait, but, but surely the Lady Marin is more suited to lead than I. I mean, she's been by your side for all of these years. And Marin speaks up and she says, I've never coveted the throne. Trust me, we've spoken at length about this. I'll be here should you need guidance, wisdom, advice, but I've served my time. I want a quieter life than I could lead doing doing this. You, it has to be you, Karun. Lord Severin says, don't argue, Osiris. <laughs> There's none more suited for this job. It's time. And from there, Karun's stoic, somber face, accepting of the responsibilities put before him, fades away into a montage that we see across the whole of Moir. First, we're taken to the streets of Elystria. Elves wander through their destroyed alleys and thoroughfares, clearing away rubble. As others sit nearby the wooden structures, whispering arcane words into the wood to coax these structures to become whole again. Uh, we see a dilapidated throne room, torn tapestry singed and burned, hanging from the walls. Queen Bathfane, looking much healthier than the last time we saw her, strides toward the seat. Her frame is thin and wan, but her face is resolute with determination. We can see dwarves filing back into Grundikov after a long time of not being in Grundikov. <laughs> clearing away signs of its long occupation. We see families returning to their ancestral homes, tears dripping into their thick, full beards. We hear the sounds of hammers echoing through the streets. 
we see Emperor Isaac Krasinov again looking far better than he did the last time we saw him, sitting atop the hub in a chair carried by several dwarven honor guards. His body seems nearly lifeless, almost as weak as we saw Crag in his last moments, brought to the edge of mortality itself through the years of abuse. He breathes out slowly and nods at the progress being made on the city below. Next to him, we see Carmina Dostoy walking into the frame, and he puts a hand atop her shoulder, and they both look out at the work that needs to be done. We see Governor Hakon and Grisham of Owlbear staring out a window in the ivory citadel of Snagpine. The sky above is clear and blue, as far below caravans of wagons and carts stream through the city carrying refugees displaced from across Moir back to the homes they once held. Hagan smiles at Grisham, then turns and limps away from the window. From here, our story vision moves a bit more rapidly, capturing scenes of life across the land. We see a small figure in an olive green cloak, Walk up to a rocky cliff face. The bleat of a goat sounds off the wall, and she places a hand on the cliff. She places a hand on the cliff. We see Owlbear and Chuck. <laughs> And as the scene begins to fade, we see a few words engraved on the cliffside. <sighs> but the one we can make out clearly is Moose. The cliffside scene is replaced by an unobstructed vista of the seas. And a ship breaks through the waves, sailing out with the wind. On the side of the the four of the boat, I don't know boat terms. <laughs> we see the words Never have, never will. Never have, never will. <laughs> we see the words the riders mutiny. Seaworthy once again, crewed by a full crew of very buff pirates. <laughs> except for one winnowy dark elf. Setting off for adventure and discovery. Among the high seas. Amazing. We see Balgar and Malaris standing atop the gates of Malik, watching a group of warriors below running through forms and various drills. Repairs are being made to the walls and the buildings. Malaris puts a scaly green hand on Balgar's shoulder. They look at each other, nod, and then stare off into the setting desert sun. From the desert, we go to a snowy tundra. Frigid winds sweeping across the plains. A lone snuffalo crosses the frozen land. And we can barely recognize Tob through his heavy furs and scarf, riding alone through the cold. Behind the snuffalo, a small sled is filled with wrapped parcels and packages. Things like Everest jewelry, armor, weapons, trinkets... 
a sort of trading wagon headed to the nearest point of civilization. A brisk wind picks up Crosstop's path, swirling the snow and ice into a miniature tornado. As the wind dies down in its stead, we see a familiar <laughs> elemental form made of ice as Lyle picks up pace and falls into stride beside Top and the Snuffalo. I almost forgot about Lyle. That's amazing. Can't forget about Lyle. Love Lyle. Finally, our scene fades into blackness. And we see pitch darkness for a few long moments until an ovoid portal of light appears, illuminating the chambers. It is a plane of pure darkness, black as far as the eye can see, except for four large ornate clay urns with iron braziers standing between them. A lone figure walks forth, holding a torch in one hand and what looks like a hammer in the other. It lights the braziers, and in the torchlight we see the acute, angled face of Jasalka the White. He unslings a leather pack from his back and sets it on the ground of this black plain, and then walks to the first of the clay urns. With both hands he grips the hammer, hefts it back, and swings it across to smash the first urn. The clay gives way easily, and spilling through the crack we can see viscous, clear fluid. Sulka cracks the urn a few more times with the hammer and then peels back what shards are left with his bare hands. In the wreckage, lying on the floor, is a limp, naked, humanoid form covered in this weird, gross, jello-like substance. Gross. In quick succession, he walks to the next two and does the same, each revealing a different body. Two women, one man. When three of them are uncovered, he retreats to the leather pack and reaches in. After searching for a moment, he pulls out a belt with an enormous blue gemstone. He takes the belt and fastens it around the waist of one of the female bodies. The gem glows brightly, and the body shudders violently before it starts vomiting up more of the clear liquid. But Jasulka pays it little mind, going back to the pack and pulling a staff set with a brilliant emerald from its pack and fastening it firmly in the grip of the male body and then followed by the uh, mm, followed by a glistening black shield which he slips onto the arm of the final remaining body finally he goes to the pack pulls out the hilt of a blood red sword and he looks at it and then he looks at the final unbroken urn, his eyes narrowed. He stares for a minute, then mutters, he hasn't quite earned it yet, before he shoves the sword back in his bag. This shifts to an idyllic hillside under a tall oak tree. The landscape looks pleasant, but unlike any we have observed on the continent of Moir. A gleaming white portal stands next to the tree, and four figures walk out. Jisulka, followed by the new bodies of Fulmis, Acrila, and Venerice, wearing loose silk robes. Jisulka reaches into his pack one last time as the last one of them steps out, and the portal behind them closes. Out of the pack comes a wooden chest, similar but not identical to the one we know and love. He sets it on the ground and opens the lid, revealing a set of downward-sloping stairs. 
He gestures inside and says, Welcome back, my friends. Here we start our new life and a new age. Come with me. We have some work to do. And finally, we see the interior of an herbalist's shop. The mushroom cloud. The shelves are stocked and customers crowd around, searching through baskets for the most prime specimens. Armand and Marguerite work the counter, accepting coins in exchange for the fruits of their growing and foraging. The day passes, and the shop remains busy for pretty much the entirety of it, until at last Armand flips a sign on the door to read closed as the sun begins to set on the quaint town of Lake Ansel. He turns to Marguerite and says, uh, now that the hotels are back open, we're getting more business than the two of us can handle. We might have to hire some help. What about that kid, Celia's friend from the temple, Orin? He seems responsible enough. Marguerite smiles and closes the till, then wipes a rag across the counter. We can talk about it, but we'll certainly have to figure something out. We're definitely not getting any younger. Armand turns to start closing the store. When the bell above the door rings and the hinges creak open. I'm sorry, we're... Oh. It's you, come on in, come on in. And standing in the doorway is Antony. A full, grizzled beard covers his face and several scars. He walks with a slight limp and braces himself against the door as he enters. Marguerite rushes over to him, giving him, a, giving him an arm to lean on. Oh dear, are, are you alright? Come in, sit down, sit down. I'm fine, Mom. Just my knee's acting up again. Ever since I took that hit and grew to cough, it flares up from time to time. Nothing to worry about. He took an arrow to the knee. Exactly. Not enough to slow you down too much, Armand says, pointing to the crest on Antony's breastplate. The gleaming armor bears a crest of a tall mountain with a sun cresting over it. The symbol is worn by those guards honored as temple guards in Lake Ansel, the elite military force of the city. Stop it, Dad. I just lived longer than anyone expected me to. They didn't know what else to do with me. <laughs> that makes so much sense what you would say. <laughs> There's a somber moment of silence before Antony speaks up again. Then, anyway, I intercepted the mail carrier on my way over here. I've got the evening off. Looks like we got a letter from Celia. Well, you got a letter from Celia. He reaches into his breastplate and pulls out an envelope, slightly wrinkled, but sealed with a wax seal. Marguerite grabs it and looks it over. She looks as if she's almost going to just tear it open then and there, but stays her hand. She says, your sister will be back soon. She's been making some preparations. We can open it then. Now, come in. I've got a stew on if you're hungry. A little less than an hour later, the doorbell rings again, and this time, you enter the shop, Octavia. You have been out all day making preparations and gathering supplies for the journey you are about to embark on. So I would like you, putting you on the spot, to uh, tell us what you look like now, about a year later, and what you've been up to in that time. You can take a moment. Octavia looks much the same. A lot of her uh, 
hearts were more when she was in elemental form or things like that. So she was able to escape uh, significant scarage or things along those lines during the final fight with Crag. But her cheeks are a little more hollow than they once were. And they don't seem to be like they'll fill out anytime soon. She's let her hair just be its wild, free self. And for the first time in what feels like a very long time, she has no armor on, no swords, just plain everyday, everyday wear. Still hardy, not not flimsy or anything like that. But nothing fine or fancy either. She has her her grandmother's staff in her hand, a family heirloom that's been handed down for generations. It's petrified wood that came from when the far north, the mountain Mount Ryko, back when it was still a volcano. And it's it's been carried by every Asimar in the Sinclair family since. For the past year or so, she's been helping her parents get the mushroom cloud back off the ground. Uh, she's been assisting with um, communications between Lake Ansel's new great um, dragon turtle overlord and <laughs> the civilians it is being an interpretive and uh, kelp-bringing emissary. The one scene I forgot to write. <laughs> People are just like fanning him with palms. <laughs> We're just Help. like. <laughs> Help. <laughs> oh, the scene wouldn't be very much. It's just this this giant dragon turtle just sitting there eating things. Yep, yep. And living his best life living as we're all like, life. don't let him know he's not actually in charge. <laughs> every every couple months they do give him a decision to make that's like very it doesn't matter. What type of fountain should we install in the square? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have like two different fountain what types. What type of flowers are we planting this spring in front of the temple? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, but this decision is the most important of them. And we have left oh, this important decision to you. Oh, great dragon turtle, sir. <laughs> oh, man. I like, I mean, it's just pancake. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Basically. It is. Based on a true story. <laughs> oh. But that can... I mean, her mind... can't find rest, though. Um, and she keeps thinking over and over... of Craig's face in the last moment. And how 
She had no idea he was out there. All those years growing up when she was struggling to figure out what it meant to literally have divinity in her. There was someone else who was having that same trouble and experience. And she wants to know if there are any others out there. And so after making sure that the mushroom cloud got off, you know, it was well well stocked, got off on the right foot, she decides to kind of become a a traveling emissary of the mushroom cloud, as you will. She's going to carry the finer herbs that we always kept in stock and, you know, trade from town to town. But as she's journeying, peddling in herbs and spices and poultices, she's looking. She's looking everywhere for someone whose eyes might just be a little bit different. For someone, maybe if their hair is also unreasonably unruly. For the people who were cast aside as different. And she's going to look for them. So she's all packed up. And after delivering her last enriched batch of kelp to, oh ye great dragon turtle overlord, she returns home one last time before heading out. So you come home, and you see your mother, your father, and your brother all waiting there for you. Bowls of stew in hand. They offer one to you. And Marguerite says, We got a letter from your sister. I I thought we'd wait until you got home to read it. Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Oh, I'm glad that it arrived. Oh, it could have arrived tomorrow, and that would have just been... Oh, this is so perfect timing. perfect timing. Yes, I... It took all of my strength not to open it immediately. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Pull up a stool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as you gather round, Marguerite opens up the letter and begins to read. And the letter says, My dear family, it is strange living in another city away from you all. I miss you all more than I thought I would. The elves are peculiar in a good way, but it takes some getting used to. They do have the most beautiful singing voices, though. It reminds me of the lullabies Mother would sing us from the forest. Makes me a little less homesick. I've had my first few weeks of courses without too much incident. The academy at Elystria is very strict, and I'm working with others who have been studying Arcana for far longer than I have. I'll have to ask Uncle Carhoon about tips next time I visit. My professors say my progress is quicker than expected, but I don't know if I should be insulted or complimented by that. (laughs) 
as I said, the elves are peculiar. <laughs> Just know that I am working hard, and I am trying my best to live up to the Sinclair name. I fear I won't have too many breaks to come visit. The coursework is very demanding, but the anniversary of the end of the war is coming soon. We will have a few days off for the planned festivities. If I can get transport, I'd love nothing more than to come home and celebrate with you before Octavia leaves. I love you and miss you all. I will make you proud. Love, Celia. Marguerite wipes a tear from her eye, much like Austin does. And Anthony gives her a reassuring clasp on the shoulder. Anthony then turns to you and he says, I'm... Sorry, I haven't been home as much. These temple duties are actually keep me pretty busy, but you're uh, heading out on some grand adventure, huh? Uh, I mean... You're leaving tomorrow? That that was the plan. Um, it's nothing too, too wild. Uh, basically, I'm gonna take elements from, from the mushroom cloud, and I don't, I don't want to say be a traveling salesman, but... Uh, essentially be a traveling salesman and um i'm gonna look for look for others like me and and like craig and see if i can find them before you know so that's good that's good well if if you're not gonna be here when celia comes to visit maybe you could head elistria ways first give her a visit she sounds a little bit lonely. Yeah, I mean, I can... I, I can't imagine doing something like that alone, alone. I was fortunate not to be, so... So, in how many days would the end of the year or... Year say about a week. I mean, I, I don't have a specific date or reason that I need to be heading off tomorrow I mean if Celia is going to be home that soon I mean I can I can delay heading out for a week I don't want to I mean miss seeing her Marguerite says I that would I I don't want to keep you I she puts a hand on your shoulder I I know this hasn't been easy for you and I know you need to do what you need to do Um, but if you'd like to stay for another week to see your sister that We'd all love to have you around. I I wouldn't miss an opportunity to see her and have everybody be together. And so over the next week, you kind of prolong your preparations. You help interview Oren, who seems like a good enough fit to help. <laughs> you spend a few days training him and stocking, cleaning the various shop duties you were responsible for. Mm-hmm quiz him very heartily him very thoroughly on and his fungi knowledge <laughs> he's he doesn't know quite as much as you I'll but be like, don't eat that one why would you sell that to a customer <laughs> he is a quick learner <laughs> and in this time you you also make contact with the lake ansel branch of the order of the sacred tribunal a society of scholars and academics who seek to preserve and learn more about pre-moerian history and they are more than thrilled to welcome you into the fold. And over that weekend, Celia is able to come home for a break as the War's End celebration 
occurs and there are uh, festivities, uh, parade celebrations, and a lot of you together eat, drink, and talk as a family without without fear for the first time in a decade and a half. But those days go quickly and soon Celia must return to Elystria to continue her studies and Antony's duties require him to be on call much of the time. And so Celia departs, Antony returns to the temple, and the day you set out on your journey comes. You find yourself on the doorstep of the Mushroom Cloud in your good old traveling gear. A similar scene to one that played out a little more than a year ago. Armand and Marguerite hug you tightly. Armand says, Good luck, Octavia. I knew you couldn't stay here forever, not after everything that happened, but just be careful. Send a, send a raven from time to time. We'd love to hear from you. I will. And I'll, and I'll be back. I mean, yes. you know, I'll, I'll need to submit quarterly reports of my sales of and and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't I don't see this as a, you know, a, a no end in sight type of journey. Well, if I know one thing about you, it's that. Who knows what you're going to get up to next. I hope it's something very mundane. They, uh, they hug you. I hug them back. Amon says, we love you, Octavia. Marguerite says, we love you, dear. I love you, too. And as they walk back into the mushroom cloud and close the door, you are about to turn and head to the streets toward the gates of Lake Ansel and you feel a tap on your shoulder. I whirl around. You whirl around to see Carhoon. Dressed in similar adventuring <laughs> garb standing behind you. What are you doing here? You didn't think you'd go off on another adventure without me, did you? But you have responsibilities now. Yeah, look, I talked Marin into coverage for me for like a week or two. I, I Government... It's a lot. I need a break. Oh. I'm so glad. I need a break. <laughs> I mean, not that not that it's a lot. I'm just so glad you're here. I was thinking about, and I feel like they're like strolling <laughs> as they're saying this to the, to the gates. And I say strolling because they can, because <laughs> there is no urgency. <laughs> they don't have to be at a specific place at a specific time mm-hmm. and Octavia continues I was thinking of what it would be like at the campfire tonight all by myself and I would be a bit frightened for sure mm-hmm. you can hold your own even without a couple dragons watching your back yeah I felt I think I would it was just, it would be so by myself. Yeah. Well, I'm, like I said, I need a break. And just because I've come to terms with this uh, werebear thing doesn't mean everyone in Montignon has. And I owe it to them to, to find that cure. So I'm, I'm still keeping my eyes out. So I'm. Well, we can both look for things. I mean, it's exactly. it makes so much sense. So, what do you say? You could, you could use a hand or, 
Or a paw? I could use two paws, in fact. Carhoon wraps a big hand around your shoulder. And you know what? I have a theory. If the chromatic, if of all of those dragon souls, even after the judgment, were, you know, kind of still alive out there, what about all of the, the five other ones? I mean, maybe they're still out there too. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of far-fetched, but started talking with the, the, the sacred tribunal and I don't know I'm gonna it's a it's a tier two you know on on the list but I'm, I'm gonna keep my eye out for anything that just seems a little bit awry I think that's a good idea so have you say back at it again I think so and the two of you walk off towards the gates of Lake Ansel. And that scene fades to black. And one last time. Our vision fades up to a cave, clearly deep underwater. The walls are lined with a bioluminescent algae and organisms casting a deep green light over the rocky terrain. Swimming in slow, lazy circles around the cave, we see an apoleth, light red eyes. Long tentacles sprouting from behind its gills, waving slowly in the currents. A low droning noise vibrates through the water. Its language, we come to realize. Were we watching a movie, subtitles would come up on the bottom of the screen to translate this alien tongue. Those subtitles would say, The preparations are nearing completion. Your efforts are appreciated, Zeon. Your mastery of the planes is invaluable in our efforts. When our rightful place in Moir is claimed once again, you will be richly rewarded. Our vision of the Apoleth floats backwards as an enormous brain swims forward, tentacles propelling it forward like a giant jellyfish. Zeon's voice echoes back through the water, although the conversation probably isn't actually audible at all. It says, of course, my friend. I've studied your kind extensively and wish for nothing else but to see your kingdom restored. A kingdom I, of course, have a place within. The portal housing will be ready soon, and your kind have more than enough psychic energies for its operation from this end. However, its continued operation will require a source of suitable raw magic on the side of Moir as well. The type that doesn't come around, or rather, isn't born very often. 
You may have to wait some time. The Abolith responds. The Abolith have waited centuries for this opportunity. We will not waste it by rushing. We shall wait a little more. Xeon's brain floats backward, beginning to retreat from the conversation. Of course you will, Chazol. Of course you will. The scene float fades to black. And that is the end of me, my spouse, and a die. Why don't you take us out? We will be back for a short debrief. Thank you and farewell. Thank you all so much for listening over these 150 plus episodes over over the years as we got our sea legs from the beginning as we uh, felt out the characters of Carhoon and Octavia as we got many rules wrong I am sure not, not too many though that's true <laughs> we tried to be relatively <laughs> accurate and so thanks to all of you and we'll catch you sometime <laughs>